Mustang is a special podcast production of Boise State Public Radio and the Mountain West News Bureau. Support for this series comes from Barbarian Brewing, who believes all it takes is a few untamed minds, a little elbow grease, and a few pints of beer to make true innovation happen. Standing with Boo in the pasture, he's like being really cute and lipping at me and stuff, but he's an asshole. You just bolted. You were on your lead rope, walking along like a good horse, when you decided it was time to be scared of something in the distance and take off again like you did a couple weeks ago and dragged me. And I let go and I let you run. And fortunately, you ran back to the barn, but you could have gone to Canada from this property. And I'm just mad at you. And I don't feel like I know what I'm doing. And you're like a freaking boat anchor. When you don't want to go somewhere, you just stop. And I have to drag you. And I'm obviously not strong enough. And you're so damn cute right now, like nibbling my glove. With your little mouth. And you're such a baby. And you're so curious. And I just want to just snuggle you. And beat the shit out of you right now. Because you're just not listening to me. But you're so cute. Don't you bite me. I have no idea. Am I going to screw you up so badly? Are you going to end up dog meat? Yeah? Reason number 5,220 that I shouldn't have probably gotten a Mustang. Could have just got a quarter horse. Just got a broke quarter horse. Probably spend some real money and get a decent animal that does what it's told. Knows how to be ridden maybe isn't quite so cute. So far, Boo's first instincts are to kick whenever anything threatens his hind end, which is a problem because whenever you're near his butt, you're at risk of getting walloped. And um, to bolt. So he kicks and bolts. Great combo. Feels super safe. And uh, yeah, it just feels like there's always the chance of a little rodeo every time we hang out. And it's super just frustrating to feel like I'm not in control and in fact this horse is going to do whatever the hell he wants and he's probably learning that he can do whatever the hell he wants and it's just it's just a long road it just feels like a really long road right now huh buddy yeah he's nodding his head because he ate something weird that tastes funny not because he's agreeing with me. So yeah, training a wild horse is one of the hardest things I have ever tried to do. It is not for the faint of heart. But the truth is, there are too many Mustangs on the open range. So the BLM captures them, thousands of them every year. And then what? They can't be released again. Some spend their lives in government holding pens. Some end up in sanctuaries. Some, tragically, end up at the slaughterhouse. 
But some get trained, and they can make amazing partners for us humans. At least, that's what I've been told. We'll see how that works out for me and Boo. Jury's still out. But that last path, good training, can give a horse a chance at a darn good life. So I wanted to meet a professional trainer, someone who works with the toughest, wildest Mustangs every single day, in the hopes that she can set them up for success in our world. There's a dark brown horse racing around Stephanie Skidmore in her round pen. He's afraid, and when wild horses are afraid, their instinct is to run. In the wild, that's how you stay alive. But that's not how things work in the human world. And Stephanie is trying to teach this horse that important lesson. Yeah, don't be silly. And I'm not chasing him around. I'm not asking him to go real fast. I'm just trying to, you know, be clear with him what it is that I'm that I want. Stephanie moves calmly and deliberately. Gray cowgirl hat, muck boots and jeans. It's a cold Colorado spring day, and the ice is just starting to give way to slick mud. The horse's name is Benny, and he was wild for the first 12 years of his life, roaming a remote part of northwestern Colorado. And just like my Mustang, Boo, Benny probably didn't see many humans until a few months ago when his whole world changed. He bolts away from her again. That's what I mean. See, right into the pressure. And Stephanie walks after him, slowly, following him as he rushes around the pen. There's a conversation happening here, one that doesn't involve words. Stephanie's asking this horse to slow down and connect with her, to start trusting her and override his flight instinct. And this horse just isn't sure if he's willing to do that yet. So he is a little bit hard and a little bit of a challenger that way. But he's going to be great once he realizes that he can actually trust my judgment. We humans fail Mustangs in so many ways. Mustangs are cheap, after all. 125 bucks to the BLM, and you can take one home. So many people see a bargain, and they assume that training a wild horse is just like training a horse that comes from hundreds of years of domesticated bloodlines. It's not. People get in over their heads and end up hurt, or the horse ends up labeled dangerous. Stephanie sees the worst of those failed training attempts. She's the founder of Wild Horse Outreach and Advocacy, a nonprofit she runs in the mountains a couple hours southwest of Denver. Horses like Benny come here for a sort of training boot camp that helps them learn to trust humans and be able to do basic tasks like load into a horse trailer, have their feet trimmed, and maybe someday even carry a rider. Watching him in the pen, though, I wouldn't swing a leg over this horse anytime soon. He is fresh out of the wild, overwhelmed, scared, and just trying to get away. But Stephanie has a soft spot for horses like Benny. You know, and none of what he does makes him, you know, a bad horse or a hopeless piece or any of that. He's just not done this enough. I mean, why would he trust me? You know, if you've been alone on a desert island for eight months and all of a sudden somebody shows up and he wants to tell you how to do things, you're gonna you know, test them out too. 
Another way to think about it, Stephanie says, is that for Benny, this is kind of like being abducted by aliens. Just a few months ago, he was plucked from a world of open sagebrush and dropped into a world of houses and fences and trucks and dogs with weird noises, smells, and potential threats everywhere he turns. He doesn't speak our language. He doesn't understand our signals or our movements. But I watch as he gradually stops running, slows to a walk, and then stops and turns towards Stephanie, as if to say, okay, what are you asking of me? What's next? She reaches out and starts gently stroking his neck with the end of her long training stick. It's a tentative touch, a first connection between his universe and hers. In her own way, Stephanie knows how Benny feels. Understanding and connecting with humans has always been a challenge for her. She was born and raised in a working-class family in Leipzig, Germany, right around the time the wall came down. She's an only child, and she says her parents worked a lot, so she was on her own quite a bit as a kid. She didn't fit in, she was chubby, she was timid, and she was bullied. Socializing overwhelmed her. You know, I couldn't get along with my with other kids. They, they were just too much, you know, too too loud, always too something, too loud, too many of them. Um, and so I had to, through asking questions and reading, did I figure out how people interact and what's appropriate and what's not. It wasn't until Stephanie was an adult that she came to understand why things were so hard for her. It's because I have just enough autistic traits. I'm not diagnosed, but I have just enough autistic traits that I had to study people to understand them and get along with them like other people have to study language. And so that started out with me as just a kid. You know, what makes people tick? Like, why can people get along with each other? And I had to literally sit there and watch people, you know, and ask other people how, how these things work. And Stephanie says that when she works with a wild horse who's new to the human world, she, perhaps more than most of us, can relate. I have also learned that, you know, I spent a lot of my life in survival mode. You know, fight, flight, freeze, and a lot of it freeze. Freezing is an interesting term, both for horse and human behavior. For many people on the autism spectrum, it's described as feeling paralyzed by stress or overstimulation or anxiety. Stephanie describes it as an out-of-body experience. Nothing just really matters. You're just... I guess the definition of checked out is dissociated. It's like I'm, I'm watching a movie while living it. Your emotions go away. Um, you don't feel anything. You're just you're just kind of there and going through the motions, and nothing nothing really matters. And it's it's eerie. So, you know, I mean, shut down in horses is the same as dissociated in people. You just leave your body. You leave the situation for better or for worse. It doesn't happen to Stephanie often, but she says her worst freezes have happened when she's asked to speak in front of people. One time, a Mustang rescue organization wanted to feature her as one of their star trainers, and they made a video of her to play at a big fundraising dinner. Stephanie said having the camera in her face was hard enough, but then she had to stand up as the crowd applauded her at the big event. She said she was petrified. I mean, I was, I was shaking, and I was just, I can't walk, I can't, I'm just going to stand here. That was, that, was, that was crazy. Here's 
Hearing Stephanie describe that experience, I can't help but think about Boo. I remember when he was first captured. He was in a corral, and there was a cowboy working him. This was before I took him home. And Boo just ran and ran at first to try and get away. But then he froze. He just stood there, stock still, feet planted. And I remember how tight his jaw was. His ears were stiff and alert. Every muscle was tense, just poised to explode, but frozen. But in a horse, you'll see they're not blinking. Um, sometimes their skin is really tight and you touch them and they're like really flinchy. Um, so that's physical tension. Do you feel like what you've experienced personally in that freezing situation helps you work with horses better? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and it's also, and it helps me empathize with that. Um, in the sense that though that I also know it's something that can be worked through. And that we're all happy if we're not living in fear. You know, because backing away from that fear is not always the right thing to do. You know, there's time and place and it needs to happen in increments. But living in fear is a horrible, horrible thing. And I know that from experience. Many of the Mustangs Stephanie works with have experienced trauma. She's drawn to the difficult cases, the horses no one could get through to, that maybe became dangerous or violent. Horses like Ra. He's in the next pen over, this big, beautiful, red-gold-colored Mustang. It's easy to see why he's named after the Egyptian sun god. Today, Ra's getting his feet trimmed for the first time. It's sort of like clipping and filing your fingernails for humans. But you can imagine that it's a pretty scary experience for a wild horse. Roaming the open range, their hooves wear down naturally from covering so much ground in tough, rocky country, so there's no need for clippers or files. And Ra is having a hard time with this whole thing. A volunteer named Linnea holds his lead rope while the farrier tries to pick up his hind leg. And Ra threatens to kick. (laughs) Stephanie and I watch from outside the pen. Give him, hey, hey, stop. So, and that's just something what you see here is just that, you know, he is sort of deeply convinced that humans are not to be trusted. And that's why he's kind of bracing because he assumes that something bad's going to happen. He does not love his right side. No. Um, I will tell you, though, there is, he has an old injury on that right hind. Okay. So some of that is physical. Okay. Stephanie says Um, this horse has had a really hard life. She doesn't know his whole story, but evidently he grew up wild on a reservation. Then he was captured by someone who probably thought they could train him up and sell him for good money because he's so nice looking. But as so often happens, Ra wasn't an easy horse to train. He may have been abused, ended up getting dumped at an auction, and could have been sent to slaughter if a horse rescue operation hadn't bought him. The rescue often works with Stephanie to give horses a second chance at training, instead of taking up limited space at a sanctuary for the rest of their lives. Unfortunately, Ra was so damaged and distrustful of humans by that point, and he was still an uncut stallion, which didn't help things, that when they tried to transport him, he threw himself over eight-foot-high panels and escaped. Eventually, he was caught again, gelded, and brought to Stephanie for rehab. And that's where he's at, you know. Humans have failed him in some way, you know, intentional or otherwise. And so when he meets a new person, he's like, are you going to be the one that hits me? Are you going to be the one that's going to be mean to me? 
And that's where, you know, with a horse that has had a bad experience in the past, it takes that much longer because now you're having to override that. We're watching Ra as the farrier tries to get him to relax his hoof into her hand so she can file it. And Ra is just struggling with this. He tries to let his hoof down, but then he clenches it up again as if he's fighting some kind of internal battle about whether to relax and give her his hoof and trust her or not. Okay, but if you, and you're standing here and you're looking at him now, and he's like, yeah, this is nice, but I'm not relaxed. But he's, he's holding it together and he is not shut down. You know, he's looking around, he's blinking, his ears are moving, and he's like, okay, fine. <laughs> Another skill Ra needs to learn while he's here is to be able to get in and out of a horse trailer. This is key if there's ever a natural disaster and he needs to be evacuated or taken to the vet for care. I stand quietly off to the side as Linnea walks Ra over towards the horse trailer. So think about this for a minute. You've spent your whole life in big sky country without anything remotely resembling an enclosed area or a roof over your head. And then humans ask you to step into a metal tube and close the door behind you. Now picture yourself a horse like Ra, who has only ever been forced into trailers and then taken to new, scary places with more humans who might hurt him. As they approach the trailer, Ra snorts and hesitates. He's assessing the situation but he chooses to follow Linnea. He steps into the trailer. Just like that, he's in the trailer. Can you hear that big sigh? That's letting down a little bit and relaxing. Or thinking about it. She's gently petting his face. You can see his eyes kind of softening a little bit. He's not relaxed, but he's just softening. It's a really beautiful thing to watch. This is a horse who's just putting his trust in us humans in little tiny pieces, one step at a time, one day at a time. Because he didn't choose to be in our world. So the best we can do is be fair to him now that he is. Stephanie doesn't just rehab traumatized horses. She also works with troubled humans. She has a master's in counseling, and she did an internship at a maximum security mental health facility working with incarcerated men. Now she's a part-time school counselor and works with kids in her community when she's not training Mustangs. Um, And there are actually a lot, a lot of parallels, you know, and especially with children, um, because it's just like the horse or the Mustang in that they don't, they haven't learned how to really adjust to certain things, how to really express themselves in certain situations, how to communicate things appropriately, you know, and they may be in situations and carry things that are too heavy and too big and very foreign to them. Yeah. And then? And then, and then 
a react reaction comes out of that that seems disproportionate to us but again we're not walking in their shoes and it can be really hard to put yourself into into their perspective but once you do and that's also a thing that I learned in corrections if I try to put myself if I if I'm open about listening to where you're at and how you got here and what your story is and I'm like yeah I can I can get how you got to this result yeah I kept thinking about what Stephanie had said earlier about living in fear I got the sense that she's no stranger to trauma in her own life but I didn't work up the nerve to ask her about that until our final morning together. They come pretty quick when you call, or are they going to think about it? We met up in the pasture where she keeps what she calls her ambassador herd of three Mustangs. Stephanie rides them in the mountains for days at a time, using them to carry packs and travel into some incredibly rough wilderness. Tiny! Petri! The horses were way off in the distance when we got there, snoozing on a cold, sunny hillside. And Stephanie called them over to us. They really want to hide. They've done that, too. Really? Yeah, oh yeah. They'll be standing on a hill under a tree watching you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Slowly, they walk across the field and stand around Stephanie. Yeah, this is this wild bunch. (laughs) Aren't they funny, though? They're so funny. Tiny. Stephanie's not-so-tiny gelding from Wyoming stands closest to her. I love how he's just kind of protectively got his neck around you while we're hanging out. It's almost like he's guarding her as we sit down for one more interview. Are you okay with that? Can I interview her, Tiny? Is that cool? (laughs) I knew Stephanie grew up in East Germany and that she'd been in the U.S. for more than a decade, and I had now met her Mustang family. But I didn't know much about her past. When you think about your human family, what do you think about? That an ocean between us is just the right distance away. I love them, but some people, you're, you know, it's healthier if you love them from a distance. Yeah. Stephanie's parents made sure all her physical needs were met, but she says she never felt unconditional love from them. At one point, her parents told her they never wanted her. You can't unsay that. Um, I mean, and that has, you know, shaped me in so, so many ways to know that I wasn't wanted, you know, to know that or to be told that, you know, I was the reason that the marriage failed. And like I said, rationally, I know that that's not true. And rationally, I know that, yeah, I may not have been planned or wanted, but I also know that they did the best I could. And that's one of the other things that, you know, that keeps sort of counselors from going nuts is that the notion that everybody is doing the best they can with what they have in the moment. Stephanie has long struggled with low self-esteem, anxiety, and depression. She told me she's contemplated suicide several times. You know, throughout my life, the horse has always been a grounding force for me and has always been something where I could just go and be and be okay. Um, Not just be in control in the sense when you're, you know, quote-unquote training horses, but also understand and feel understood. Um, and I was, I'm no stranger to trauma and anxiety and um, depression and, you know, anger resulting from that. And uh, horses have always been a leveling force. Stephanie was married to an American for seven years. She describes the relationship as psychologically abusive. They'd break up and then get back together, and she just didn't feel strong enough to leave. She got her first Mustang the week she and her husband separated for the last time. 
And she says she's never looked back. That's really what's made, you know, life worthwhile. And there are still times when things are hard and when I'm like, you know, what, what am I doing? Why am I here? And I've always questioned, you know, my worth as a person. And uh, they've given me a reason. They've given me a reason to occupy space on this earth and they give me a reason to get up every morning and to keep going. And to me, um, you know, the least I can do is give back. And, you know, there's no way I'm ever going to give them back what they've given me. I often get overwhelmed when I think about the wild horse issue from the 10,000-foot level. There are more than 50,000 Mustangs in government-holding facilities that could use training like this in order to find good homes. And who knows how many more who are already in bad situations and need to be rescued and rehabbed. Stephanie's facility isn't big. She doesn't work with more than 20 horses at a time and prefers to have fewer than 10. She knows her work is just a piece of the pie, and a small one at that. But as she says about her horses, her family, and the people she counsels, she's doing what she can with what she has. And anyone who has worked with her or adopted a horse from her will tell you that she's made a big difference in the lives of the people and horses she touches. Tiny, come here. Yeah, family photo, come on. Family photo. <laughs> there we go. I took a picture of Stephanie that makes me smile when I look at it. She's sitting in the snow with her two German shepherds, Denali and Ranger, and her three horses standing over her. Look at all your creatures. <laughs> the dogs are rolling around at her feet, and Tiny is gently touching his nose to her head and then nibbling on her hat. <laughs> They're all such characters. Look at them. <laughs> creatures, oh, Stephanie, you have created a pretty beautiful family, I have to say. <laughs> I'm going to send you some of these. They're really special. <laughs> If you or someone you know is contemplating suicide, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988 or go to suicidepreventionlifeline.org. This episode was recorded on the ancestral homelands of the Cheyenne, Arapaho, Ute, Apache, Comanche, Kiowa, Lakota, Pueblo, and Shoshone nations. In fact, 48 contemporary tribal nations are historically tied to the lands that comprise what is now called Colorado. They were forcibly removed, but their culture and ties to the land continue to survive and thrive to this day. Mustang is edited by Liza Yeager. Art for the series is by Katie Michael. And she also illustrated the children's book I wrote to accompany this series. You can get your copy at thelittleblackmustang.com. Did you know you are physically adapting to all your swiping, scrolling, and tapping? We're changing our bodies and what they're able to do through our habits. NPR's Body Electric, a special interactive series investigating how to fix the relationship between our tech and our health. Listen in the TED Radio Hour feed wherever you get your podcasts.